Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Since so many of us are doing some kind of social distancing or sheltering in place, and uh, even if you're still needing to go into work, once you're off work, probably living a more isolated life than you might normally do, I thought it might be nice to do an episode on somebody whose life was relatively solitary. And a kind of winding path on that theme led me to today's topic of lighthouse keeper Ida Lewis. And she lived most of her life on a tiny island off the coast of Rhode Island. There was one phase in her life when this wasn't particularly solitary, which of course we will be talking more about, but this was a life that she deeply loved. In her words, she said, quote, I could not be contented elsewhere. The first lighthouse in what would become the United States was Boston Lighthouse that was built in 1716 and supplemented with a foghorn three years later. Other lighthouses followed, each built and managed by one of the colonies. Then, after the Revolutionary War, the U.S. tried to organize itself into a nation with a functioning government, ultimately ratifying the U.S. Constitution in 1788. And this laid the groundwork for the first U.S. Congress, which met starting in 1789. The first Public Works Act that was passed by this Congress included the establishment of a Bureau of Lighthouses under the Department of the Treasury. This act brought all of the lighthouses in the U.S. under the control of the federal government. The federal government also decided where to build new lighthouses and appointed keepers to manage and maintain those lighthouses. The officially appointed lighthouse keepers were generally men. Most lighthouses at the time were oil-burning lamps with lenses or reflectors to focus the light. They were critical parts of the maritime navigation system, and keeping them going could be an all-night job. The keeper needed to light the lamp, keep the wick properly trimmed, and ensure that it stayed burning throughout the night before extinguishing it in the morning. The lenses or reflectors also had to be frequently cleaned and polished to remove soot and other residue to keep the light as bright as possible. And of course, the lighthouse keeper needed things like food and clean clothes to do this work. Most lighthouses were in relatively remote locations, so bringing in additional labor to help with all this stuff was not an easy task. And a lot of the time, there also wasn't a budget to pay for more help. So tending a lighthouse tended to be a family affair. Sometimes the keeper's family, including his wife or daughters, helped with the actual running and maintenance of the light, including keeping it going if the keeper had to be away. But the rest of the family also carried out a lot of other labor that made it possible for the keeper to keep tending the light. Things like cleaning and preparing food and doing laundry and keeping records and getting supplies and on and on. It was also a common practice for a lighthouse keeper's widow or possibly a daughter to take over for him if he died. In many cases, everyone involved thought this was the best possible outcome, and it was so common that both keepers and the government basically took it for granted. The lightkeeper's family continued to do work that they already knew how to do, and they kept collecting the late keeper's pay. And the government got to keep the lighthouse running without going through the effort and expense of finding a new keeper. Plus, if the keeper's widow or daughter was the person who was keeping the light going, she was not doing it with a formal appointment as lighthouse keeper in most cases. 
That meant that she got to earn that paycheck as long as she was doing the work, but she was not entitled to a pension at the end of that service. So although lighthouse keepers tended to be men, a lot of women actually did this job. There were at least 145 women who are documented as keeping lighthouses from the time the lights came under federal control until 1947, at which point all the remaining lighthouses had been automated. At least twice that many were assistant keepers. The light that Ida Lewis kept is on what was then called Lime Rock off the coast of Newport, Rhode Island. Newport had been a major port during the transatlantic slave trade. It was one of the North American ports where the slave ships departed, and it was also home to more than 20 distilleries that made rum from sugar and molasses that were grown and processed by enslaved people in the Caribbean. When the War of 1812 disrupted all of this, Newport sort of reinvented itself mainly as a vacation destination. Ida Wally Zaradia Lewis was born in Newport on February 25, 1842. Her father, Captain Hosea Lewis, was a cutter pilot, although he had to retire because of his health. But then in 1853, Congress ordered the construction of Lime Rock Lighthouse in Narragansett Bay. This was shortly after the U.S. had established a new lighthouse board to oversee and manage all of the nation's lighthouses. The Lime Rock Lighthouse was an oil-burning lantern with a Fresnel lens, which can be pronounced in about 10 different ways, including Fresnel and Fresnel. French physicist Augustin Fresnel developed this lens in 1822, and soon they were standard in lighthouses. A Fresnel lens looks kind of like a beehive made out of bullseyes that surrounds the light source, and it focuses the light that the source emits into a very narrow beam. The first keeper of Lime Rock Lighthouse was Joseph Lewis, who was Captain Lewis's son from a prior marriage. He only stayed in that role for a few months, though, and Captain Lewis was appointed as his successor. Lime Rock itself was only about 220 yards from the shore at the closest point, but it was about a mile and a half away from Newport. And at first, the lighthouse was the only structure on this little island. The keeper was expected to row back and forth to the shore every day. It really quickly became clear that this was not always possible because of bad weather or nautical conditions, so a shack was built to serve as a temporary shelter if the keeper needed it. A permanent dwelling was completed on Lime Rock in 1857. When the permanent dwelling was finished, the captain moved his family out from Newport to the island. They arrived there on June 29, 1857. This included his wife, Zeradia, and four surviving children. There were two sons, Hosea, known as Hosey, and Thomas Rudolph, who went by Rudolph or Rude, and two daughters, Ida and Hattie. Ida was 15 years old and the oldest of the surviving four. Only about four months after the family moved to Lime Rock, Captain Lewis had a severe stroke, and he was disabled for the rest of his life. Ida and Zeradia took over keeping the lighthouse. Ida was already really familiar with the lighthouse's working. She had been making the trip to the island with her father before the lighthouse keeper's residence was finished. Soon, Ida was doing most of the work involved with tending the light. She would tend the light overnight, row her siblings to shore for school in the morning, go home and sleep, and then return to shore to bring the younger children home after school, before helping with all the domestic tasks around the house. And she also helped to take care of her sister Hattie, who was chronically ill. 
Ida's own formal education ended when the family moved to Lime Rock, but she became highly skilled at all the work that needed to be done at the lighthouse. She also became a really strong swimmer and an expert at handling a skiff on the treacherous waters around the lighthouse. Her father described watching her bring her siblings home in terrible weather, saying, quote, expecting any moment to see them swamped and the crew at the mercy of the waves. And then I've turned away and said to my wife, let me know when they get safe in, for I could not endure to see them perish and realized that we were powerless to save them. But Ida always got her siblings home without incident. And she also rescued a lot of other people. And we're going to talk about that in a moment after we first pause for a sponsor break. When Ida Lewis was living, a lighthouse keeper's primary duty was to keep the lighthouse going. But lighthouse keepers could also be called on to rescue people who were in danger in the water nearby. And that was something that Ida Lewis did a lot. Her first documented rescue was on September 4th, 1858, a little more than a year after she and her family moved to the lighthouse keeper's residence on the island. That day, four teenage boys were traveling around the bay by sailboat. They had gone past the lighthouse for a picnic on an island farther out in the bay. On the way back, the four of them were horsing around when one decided it would be a good idea to climb the boat mast. This caused them to capsize, something that Ida witnessed from the island. Ida immediately got into her skiff, rowed out to them, pulled each of them into the skiff with her, and then took them all back to the lighthouse. One of the four boys had lost consciousness in all this and had to be revived, but all of them ultimately survived this ordeal. Uh, No horseplay on the sailboat is the moral of that story. I feel like we shouldn't have to tell you this. (laughs) We can go back in time and chastise those boys when we build our time machine. Uh, Many of Lewis's other rescues were of soldiers stationed at Fort Adams. Fort Adams had started as a basic fortification at the end of the 18th century. It grew and evolved with ongoing construction of a fort happening between 1824 and 1857. Newport, of course, was a popular place for soldiers at Fort Adams to go for recreation and entertainment. While you could make that whole trip over land if you wanted to, it was much faster and much more direct to just go by water. It was like you had to go to the south and then turn east and go that way for a while and then go north even farther than where you started. And you could just go in an almost straight line in the water. So... Lime Rock Lighthouse was situated roughly between Fort Adams and Newport by water. Very roughly. So a lot of the people that Lewis was rescuing were soldiers, and a lot of them were on their way back from amusing themselves in Newport. Often they were not particularly sober or clear-headed when they got into trouble. Lewis's first rescue of some inebriated soldiers was in February of 1866. Three men were making their way back to Fort Adams in a stolen boat, coincidentally a stolen boat that belonged to Ida's brother. On the way across the water, for unknown reasons, one of the men decided to stand up, and in the process, he put his foot through the bottom of the boat. The boat immediately started taking on water, and the man's two companions either jumped or fell overboard. Lewis, again, rode out in her skiff. Once she got there, she had to haul this one soldier into the skiff by force. 
She hurt her back in the process because this man was both drunk and starting to suffer from hypothermia, so he was basically dead weight. He couldn't help her at all. She also had to keep pulling on him until his foot came free from her brother's stolen boat. Once she got him aboard, she rowed him back to the lighthouse and loaned him a dry set of clothes. It's not entirely clear what happened to the other two soldiers who had been in Lewis's brother's stolen boat. It is possible that they drowned after jumping or falling into the water. If they made it back to shore, they went AWOL from Fort Adams. The man that she rescued never returned that change of clothes he had been given at the lighthouse. The following January, three men tried to rescue a sheep that belonged to August Belmont, who was a German-born banker and diplomat who was the patriarch of one of Newport's wealthiest and most prominent families. This sheep had jumped off a wharf, and the three men stole a skiff to try to go after it. This was, once again, Ida's brother's skiff, the one that he had actually bought to replace the one that the sailor put his foot through a year earlier. This was not a simple case of bad luck. When he was on shore, he tied his skiff up at Jones Wharf, which pointed almost directly at Lime Rock. So anybody who stole it and then got in trouble was probably going to be at a good spot for Ida to see what had happened and come to their rescue. This effort to rescue the sheep was ill-advised, though. There was a gale going on, and the boat quickly started to founder. Ida went after the three men, and once she had all of them ashore, they begged her to please go save the sheep, too. So she went back for it realizing there was no possible way to get a struggling, waterlogged sheep into her skiff, she tied it to the skiff and rowed back to shore, hauling it alongside her. Not long after that, Lewis rescued a man whose sailboat had struck a rock in the bay. This was a rock that was submerged at high tide, but hazardous at low tide, and locals knew to avoid it. But the man in the boat either missed the marker that was on the rock or just didn't really know what it meant. So he struck this rock in the middle of the night, Visibility was too low at that point for anybody from the lighthouse to be able to see him. Ida's mother spotted the barely visible tip of the mast of this boat in the morning. Ida found the man clinging to the side of the damaged boat. She got him again back to the lighthouse and treated him for hypothermia. Apparently, this boat was also stolen, and the boat's owner later wrote to Ida saying that he would have paid her $50 if she had just let the culprit drown. It does seem like there was a whole lot of boat theft happening in and around Newport. In Just casual boat taking. Uh, on March 29th of 1869, at the age of 27, Ida Lewis carried out her most dramatic and dangerous rescue, also her most famous. Sergeant James Adams and Private John McLaughlin were returning to Fort Adams from Newport during a snowstorm. They had hired a 14-year-old boy to act as their pilot on this little journey. This was something he apparently told them he was totally confident he could do, but their boat capsized and the teenager drowned. Lewis was sick with a cold that day, but her mother saw what happened through the window and called out to her. Lewis ran out of the house without stopping to put her coat or boots on, and her younger brother, Hosea, went with her. She rowed out to the men, and she managed to pull them into the skiff before rowing them back to the lighthouse to warm up and wait out the storm. This time, Ida herself had to recover from both hypothermia and frostbitten feet. This rescue really made Ida Lewis famous. People called her the Grace Darling of America, 
Grace Darling was the daughter of William Darling, keeper of Longstone Lighthouse off the coast of Northumberland. Grace had helped her father rescue nine survivors of a shipwreck on September 7th of 1838. Grace Darling became really famous for this. She was depicted in artwork and sheet music was printed of musical compositions that were written in her honor. Queen Victoria also wrote her a personal letter. Along the same lines, people wrote and printed sheet music for Ida Lewis, and they depicted her rescue in artwork, some of which visibly resembled the depictions of Grace Darling. In another similarity, President Ulysses S. Grant and Vice President Schuyler Colfax each visited Lewis in 1869. There's a story about this visit with Grant. Uh, It's that Grant rode out to the lighthouse and then got his feet wet while he was trying to get out of his boat, but said, quote, I've come to see Ida Lewis, and to see her I'd get wet up to my armpits if necessary. That is a charming story, but in reality, it seems like she met the president while he was in Newport, and she was the one who went into Newport to meet him. The city of Newport renamed the 4th of July, 1869, as Ida Lewis Day. Girls wore scarves with Ida's name on them, tied in the way she often wore her own. Money was raised by subscription to build her a very fancy and completely impractical rowboat, which was called the Rescue. It was made of mahogany with velvet cushions, gilt edges, and wrought copper fastenings. The New York Times described it as a, quote, beautiful and costly boat, and it was paraded around the streets of Newport before it was presented to her. Since Lewis also needed a place to store this very impractical boat, financier James Fisk built her a boathouse for it. He also gave her a set of gold-plated oar locks. The people of Newport also gave her various banners and flags and other adornments for the rescue. Meanwhile, Lewis kept her own much more practical skiff, which was the courageous child of Columbia for her everyday use. On July 31st, 1869, Lewis was on the cover of Harper's Weekly, with the publication calling her the heroine of Newport. She was written up in other publications as well, and she was frequently photographed both in studios and around Lime Rock. Also in 1869, the Sorosa Society, a professional women's organization, made her an honorary member. The Life-Saving Benevolent Association also awarded her its silver medal in recognition for the rescue of the two soldiers. Apart from all these honors and awards, there was kind of a media frenzy, and for a while, Lewis's fame intruded upon her regular life at the lighthouse. Visitors and well-wishers rode out to Lime Rock to try to meet her. By her father's count, she got as many as 9,000 visitors to the island in the summer of 1869 alone. This included Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton when they were in Newport for a convention at Newport's Academy of Music. Some of these visitors were not particularly polite. Sometimes they would pretend to be in trouble at sea, trying to get Ida to rescue them. Others stole clippings, carte de visite, and other mementos that she had at the lighthouse. Lewis also didn't particularly enjoy all this attention and tried to stay out of the spotlight. When Newport had presented her with the rescue, she got Colonel Thomas Wentworth Higginson to thank the donors and the citizens of Newport on her behalf. He also relayed a message from her in this address that she saw this work only as her duty and as an act of providence that she was even able to carry it out at all. 
She did allow Colonel George Douglas Brewerton to write a biography of her in 1869, possibly because she was hoping that if there was a book out there about her, people would stop asking her so many questions. Brewerton noted that her ability to carry out these rescues seemed at odds with who she was, a five-foot-four slender woman who was mostly photographed in feminine dresses. In the biography, he wrote, quote, It seems only wonderful that a slight-formed woman should have formed strength to lift this huge lump of masculine inebriety. Other publications lingered on the question of whether it was unfeminine of her to do all of this, but Lewis herself was reported as saying, quote, Anyone who thinks it is unfeminine to save lives has the brains of a donkey. This uh, tension on her continued beyond 1869, For example, on August 6th of 1870, the satirical magazine Punchinello published a comedic article about somebody going to Newport hoping to be rescued by the one and only Ida Lewis. In addition to piles of fan mail and all of those thousands of visitors, Ida Lewis also got numerous marriage proposals. And on October 23rd, 1870, she did marry to Captain William Wilson of Black Rock, Connecticut. They were married at Newport Methodist Episcopalian Church. Lewis left the lighthouse in the care of her mother and brothers and moved to Black Rock with her new husband. We'll talk about how that worked out after a break. We know very little about Ida Lewis's marriage to William Wilson. We can speculate. I can think of a few reasons, but we don't really know anything about their feelings for one another or what motivated Lewis to get married and leave Lime Rock. But within about two years, they had separated. They never formally divorced, though, probably because Lewis thought that divorce was sinful. She continued to use her married name in at least some contexts for the rest of her life. We also don't know exactly what prompted Lewis to go back to Lime Rock around 1872, although her father died on November 7th of that year. Her mother technically, though not officially, took over as keeper, although once Ida was back on the island, she was the one who was doing most of that work. After a while of basically keeping the lighthouse herself, Ida started to become frustrated with her lack of formal appointment as a lighthouse keeper. With the exception of her time in Connecticut, she'd been doing most of the work involved with keeping the lighthouse and maintaining the light, as well as a lot of the domestic work. She'd been doing that for well over a decade. In November 1877, Lewis made another dramatic rescue when she went after three inebriated soldiers from Fort Adams. This was during another snowstorm, and it was difficult, cold and wet enough that she and others around her blamed it for contributing to a serious illness afterward, something that may have really been diphtheria. By this point, Lewis's many rescues, especially rescues of soldiers, were well known within the federal government. In 1878, General Ambrose Everett Burnside, who was former governor of Rhode Island and at the time a U.S. senator, started investigating why she had never been given a formal appointment. Finally, on January 21st, 1879, Ida Lewis was formally appointed as a lighthouse keeper. She received a letter from John Sherman, Secretary of the Treasury, which read, quote, You are hereby appointed Keeper of the Lighthouse at Lime Rock, Rhode Island, at a salary of $750 per annum. Vice Miss Zoradia Lewis resigned. This appointment is conferred upon you as a mark of my appreciation for your noble and heroic efforts saving human lives. 
This $750 salary made her the highest paid lighthouse keeper in the United States. And according to many articles, she was also the first woman to get this kind of formal appointment. That second distinction isn't completely clear, though. Various women had had some kind of formal recognition as a lighthouse keeper before this. As we mentioned earlier in the show, hundreds of women did this work. Exactly who should be called first, not entirely clear. On February 4th, 1881, Lewis made yet another rescue of inebriated soldiers from Fort Adams. This time, though, they had been on foot. They were trying to cross the frozen harbor. As was the case with the boat that struck the rock earlier in the episode, locals had a pretty good sense of which part of the frozen harbor were safe to walk on and which were not. But these two men either didn't know, didn't care, or were just too intoxicated to realize that they had strayed into dangerous territory. This time I think it was her mother who saw them go through the ice. Um, But again, without a coat on and while wearing a bustle gown, Ida Lewis went after these men on the ice. She tried to throw them a clothesline so she could pull them back to safety. She made several attempts that didn't quite work where she would throw the line and they wouldn't be able to grab it. One of the men finally grabbed onto the line and yanked on it in his panic. And in doing this, he pulled Lewis herself through the ice. But she managed to pull herself and her bustle gown back to safety before trying yet again. She managed to get one of the two men out of the water before her brother arrived on the scene and helped the other. I can't help but thinking if I were in her position at this point, I'd be like, you're on your own. I'm out. (laughs) I think if I were in her position at this point, I might have drowned. I cannot imagine how heavy a wet bustle gown is. Yeah, it depends on what kind of cage crinoline she had. (laughs) Um, (laughs) At some point after this rescue, someone asked Lewis what had given her the strength to do this. She answered, quote, I don't know. I ain't particularly strong. The Lord Almighty gives it to me when I need it. That's all. This 1881 rescue sparked a second wave of fame for Ida Lewis, although maybe not quite as dramatic as the earlier one. On October 11th of that year, she was awarded the U.S. government's Life-Saving Medal of the First Class. This medal had been established by an act of Congress in 1874, and Lewis was the first woman to receive it. The Life-Saving Services 1881 Annual Report described her as having, quote, unquestionable nerve, presence of mind, and dashing courage. On November 5th of 1881, Lewis was also written up in Frank Leslie's Illustrated Newspaper. Lewis continued on with her work at the lighthouse. Her brother Hosey died in 1883, and her sister Hattie died the next year. They both had tuberculosis. Ida's mother rarely left her bed after their deaths. Ida had always been Christian, but after her siblings died, she became truly devout, joining the church she had been married in and being baptized there on June 8, 1884. She also started attending services daily. At the height of Lewis's earlier fame, the island had seen hundreds of visitors a month, but by the 1880s, Lime Rock was a solitary place again. Ida and her mother did not get many visitors, and after Zaradia died in 1887, Ida was mostly alone. As she got older, her brother Rudolph helped her tend the light. But Ida loved it on the island. In her words, quote, "'There's a piece on this rock that you don't find on shore.'" There are hundreds of boats going in and out of this harbor. It's part of my happiness to know they are depending on me to guide them to safety. In 1896, lighthouse keepers in the U.S. were classified as civil servants as part of ongoing civil service reform. 
Ten years later, Lewis carried out her last documented rescue. A friend came to visit her and capsized her boat just shy of the island's dock. Lewis's friend Cornelia Chadwick tried to use this rescue to get Lewis a pension through Andrew Carnegie's Hero Fund. This was a fund that recognized acts of heroism that had happened after the fund was established in 1904. For her part, Lewis didn't think pulling her friend out of the water right by the lighthouse really counted as a rescue. But it seemed that Carnegie was moved by all of Lewis's earlier acts of heroism. In 1906, he decided to give her a $30 a month pension out of his own pocket, which Ida put into a bank account for her brother to leave to him after her death. Also in 1906, an act of Congress established the American Cross of Honor. Lewis became the first person to receive it in 1907. Although Lewis was still being recognized for her work, the job of lighthouse keeper was dramatically changing. It had been a job that was mostly about keeping and maintaining a lighthouse and sometimes rescuing people, but it started to involve more and more administrative work. There were more forms and more procedures and more records to be kept. Basically just a lot more bureaucracy, and none of those things were really Lewis's strengths. There was also an increasing focus on automation and efficiency, and Lewis became concerned that this trend was going to put her out of a job and separate her from a light that she described almost as her own child. In 1911, Ida Lewis, age 69, was still tending the light on Lime Rock with her brother Rudolph's help. In late October of that year, he arrived one morning and he found her on the floor of her bedroom where she had probably had a stroke. She never regained consciousness, and she died on October 25, 1911. Some of her friends and relatives attributed her sudden death to stress brought on by all the changes to the Lighthouse administration and her fears about her own future in it. During her life, she had saved at least 18 people from drowning. The actual number may have been more than 25. Flags were flown at half-staff, and bells were tolled all over Newport in Lewis's honor on the day of her funeral. Six soldiers from Fort Adams served as pallbearers. A new lighthouse keeper, Everd Jensen, was chosen as Lewis's successor. He moved into the keeper's residence with his wife, and not long after, they had a baby daughter, who they named Ida Lewis Jensen. After her death, Lewis's friend Cornelia Chadwick circulated a letter that she had gotten from Andrew Carnegie that read in part, quote, Your kind note gives me one source of satisfaction. A happy and favored man am I to be enabled to help such heroines as Ida Lewis, who has passed away. She had no future to fear, having made the best of this life. Fortunate she was in having you as a friend. Let us try to emulate her in the service of our fellows. In 1924, Lime Rock was renamed Ida Lewis Rock. In 1925, the Lighthouse Service changed the name of the lighthouse to Ida Lewis Lighthouse, even though the policy was to name lighthouses only after geographical features. The lighthouse that Lewis had tended was deactivated in July of 1927 and replaced with an automated light on a steel tower. And then its function as a lighthouse ended in 1963. Yeah, I don't know if that lighthouse renaming uh, was technically okay because the rock had been renamed after her or if they were just like, you know what, forget that whole standard. We're going to do it this way. Uh, by the time the lighthouse stopped operating, the island itself had been sold many years earlier. The Ida Lewis Yacht Club bought it in 1928 and built a boardwalk between it and the mainland. As we said earlier, it wasn't that far to the nearest point. 
The Yacht Club formally opened on the island on July 4th, 1929, 60 years after Newport had celebrated Ida Lewis Day. In 1997, the Coast Guard unveiled a new keeper class of buoy tenders, with the first of 14 ships of that class named the Ida Lewis. The Ida Lewis was commissioned on April 12, 1997, and is stationed from Newport. The crew of the Ida Lewis also paid for the restoration of Lewis's headstone at the Common Burial Ground in Newport. Today, her boat, The Rescue, is in the collection of the Yachting Museum at Fort Adams. I tried to look into whether this museum is still a place that can be visited. That's a little hard to determine, given the fact that everything's closed right now. <laughs> you definitely cannot visit it right now when we're recording. <laughs> sure can't. On February 27th of 2017, Ida Lewis was honored with a Google Doodle for her 175th birthday. And in 2018, a road was named in her honor at Arlington National Cemetery, making her the first woman to be so honored. Uh, I also thought that we would end on a quote from her, which I particularly love and which I also feel like is appropriate given the time that we're living in right now. She said, quote, If there were some people out there who needed my help, I would get into my boat and go to them, even if I knew I couldn't get back. Wouldn't you? Uh, and I'd also like to know, if you would like to know more about her, you can read a book called Lighthouse Keeper's Daughter, The Remarkable True Story of Heroine Ida Lewis just one of the sources uh, for this episode. Um, do you also have some listener mail for us? I do. By just a totally delightful coincidence, Tiffany left this note on our Facebook wall yesterday. Tiffany says, So I just recently listened to the Flannan Isles Lighthouse podcast. I'm that person that has to listen from the beginning and cannot skip ahead. Anyways, Tracy mentioned that she would like the lighthouse job. Does working from home make you feel like you're working at the lighthouse? And secondly, are you enjoying it as much as you thought you would? Anyways, stay healthy and I'll continue to listen. Maybe I'll catch up in a year or two. Um, Thank you so much, Tiffany, for this fortuitously, coincidentally, very well-timed question. Um... So uh, we talked, uh, this is the, I think the only other episode that we've done that's really about a lighthouse, um, because when I landed on this idea for an episode, I was sort of just making sure we had not done something super duper similar. And I remember saying uh, in that episode that I felt like I would really like being a lighthouse keeper. Uh, I think when that episode came out, I don't think I was married yet. I'm not even sure. I must have been at least dating my husband by that point. Um, but I have actually been working from home on this podcast since uh, 2014. And <laughs> I also have always been a pretty introverted person. And so long before the current pandemic I would sort of uh, reach a point in a week where I would kind of think to myself, when is the last time that I went outside? Perhaps I should go outside today. Vitamin D is good for you. <laughs> um, so in a very strange way, the the current, um, I don't think we have escalated to a shelter in place here in Massachusetts yet, but the governor did issue a stay-at-home directive. Um, and it weirdly does not feel that much different from my typical day-to-day life, except my husband is with me. That's not like it was before. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, it's it's a very strange thing where uh, I know a lot of folks who are a lot more social and a lot more extroverted than I am who have really been struggling with the the staying at home where I have been sort of like, yeah, this is this feels um in terms of my day-to-day workplace functioning, it feels a lot like normal. Um so thanks Tiffany for this question. It just it delights me so much that it happens to be asked right before we were going to record an episode about a lighthouse keeper. Uh, for reference, that episode originally came out in August of 2013. Okay. Patrick and I were dating. Yeah. I had not moved no. in with him. No. So you were still uh, living alone and had been for a while. So Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm telling you, I thought I was going to go bananas having to stay home. And I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um. I, part of me almost thinks I caused this by all the times that I said as I left the house, I wish I could stay home with you Aww. and the cats. And now I get to stay home with Brian and the cats. And it's um, uh, pandemic aside, which I certainly have concerns about. It's pretty great. I I love it. I love getting all this time with Brian and my house. And also, I think because I have been traveling so much in the last year. Yeah. I, I'm like, what do you mean? There's no trip on my yeah calendar it's pretty great yeah for the context for listeners who who uh may not know your your job has evolved to include uh, executive producing a lot of other shows and that has involved a lot a lot of travel yeah a lot a lot a lot like there's the travel that you and i do together for the show and then there's this whole world of other travel (laughs) it is very common for me to uh finish writing whatever that week's show is on monday i basically spend all day working on that we record on Tuesday morning and then I run right to the airport and that's been like, and then I get home either on like Saturday or Sunday. And that's been the way my weeks have been playing out for a while. Yeah. So like to be able to just sit here with none of that on the horizon is feels like a, an incredible gift. Cause I really miss my home and my husband and my fuzzy babies. <laughs> uh, and I'll just reiterate a thing that we said on Monday. Like we, we both, feel incredibly fortunate to oh, be yeah. in, in in a state where it and in terms of our home daily lives lives feels like manageable and safe so anyway uh thank you again for uh, asking me about the flannan isles lighthouse comment that i made back in 2013 in a very different world than we're feeling like we're in right now uh, if you'd like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're at History Podcast at iHeartRadio.com. And then we are all over social media at Myths in History. That's where you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.